Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and pointless stupid lump, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert who always has a nice cup of for Spike, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Forever, the 17th episode of season five. Forever aired on April 7th. 2001 and was written and directed by Marty Noxon. As anybody who listens to this podcast knows, we are fully spoiled. So if you have not experienced all of Buffy, maybe all of Angel and possibly some of the comic books, you may want to go ahead and do that and come back. I liked the lady. She was decent. She didn't put on airs and she never treated me like a freak. So let's go on patrol. In Forever, as Buffy handles the work of putting Joyce to rest, Dawn is resentful and angry. She asks to go to Willow's after the funeral, and Buffy says okay. When Willow and Xander leave, they see Spike arriving with a handful of flowers. Xander blocks him, saying that Spike can't use Joyce's death to get to Buffy. Spike drops the flowers at their feet and walks off. The guy thinks he can put on a big show and calm Buffy into being his sex monkey. Xander, he didn't leave a card. Everyone goes to the funeral the next day. One by one, people leave Buffy standing by her mother's graveside. Finally, Willow and Tara take Dawn back with them, and Buffy is alone. The sun goes down, and Angel shows up. He and Buffy sit together and talk through the night. Meanwhile, at Tara and Willow's, Dawn has come to a decision. I want to do a spell. I want to bring Mom back. Willow and Tara try to talk Dawn out of this idea. Resurrection spells are dangerous. Sometimes they go wrong, says Willow. Yes, says Tara, but more than that, they're unethical. Witches don't mess with the natural order of things for selfish reasons. Dawn goes to bed angry, refusing to talk to either of them. At Joyce's gravesite, Buffy and Angel talk and kiss, and then talk some more before he has to go. Meanwhile, Ben runs into Jinx and says something stupid because Ben is the worst and he's got stupid hair. <laughs> I won't help her find the key. I would never do that to an innocent. An innocent? The key? That's an interesting choice of words. Ben stabs Jinx, but leaves him alive because he's not just bad at personing, he's also bad at murder. At Willow's, Dawn wakes up the next morning still resentful and angry. And as Willow and Tara leave to get breakfast, Willow does a quick spell to shove a particular book a little out of the bookcase for Dawn. Dawn, who is nobody's fool, notices and grabs the book. At the magic box, Dawn helps out and takes a moment to ask Giles where the really dangerous stuff is. Giles tells her, of course, and the second no one's looking, Dawn grabs a book and some ingredients. Later that night, while gathering dirt from her mother's grave, Dawn is surprised when Spike comes up behind her. I know good and well what you're up to. That book you've got is infamous. Please, don't tell Buffy. I just... I have to get her back. I'm not going to tell, little bit. I'm going to help. While Giles drowns his grief in a glass of scotch, and Glory discovers from a bloodied but not dead jinx, see above re Ben is the worst, <laughs> that the key is actually a person, Spike brings Dawn to a demon who knows everything about resurrection spells. The demon, named Doc, tells Dawn that she needs an egg from Agora demon to complete her spell. They go get the egg, and Spike wants to leave because it's too dangerous, but Dawn won't give up. Spike fights while Dawn snatches the egg. Sorry. Did you get it? Don't be sorry then. At home, Dawn starts her spell. At Willow's, Tara notices the magic book is gone and worries. 
Willow says it shouldn't be that big a deal. It just has history. But Tara says it also says where to find the books that are a big deal. Willow does not confess that she gave the book to Dawn. So yeah, that's called laying track. We have to call Buffy now. At home, Buffy answers the phone and then rushes up to talk to Dawn. Dawn has finished her spell and out in the darkness, we see Joyce's feet shambling through town. Buffy tells Dawn to break the spell, but Dawn refuses. Joyce is all she has. Buffy won't even look at her. Buffy says she has to do all the tasks because when she stops, then Joyce will really be gone. Buffy starts to cry, and as she does, Dawn sees how much she cares. The shadow of Joyce appears through the window, and there's a knock on the door. Buffy rushes to open it, but Dawn tears the picture she used, ending the spell. Buffy opens the door to nothing, and she and Dawn rush to each other, hug, and fall to the floor, crying. All right, so, Noelle... Oh my God, forever. <laughs> forever for me has always been kind of like the disappointing follow up to the body. The yep. body is such a, an incredible experience, one that I've always enjoyed. But as we did our analysis last time, I enjoyed it even more because uh, there was so much more there than I had originally seen. Um, and I'm feeling the same way about forever, not to the same extent as the body. Like I'm never going to like it as much as the body. But I would say that on this watch, looking at it critically, it probably, you know, am up my enjoyment by maybe like 15-20% which I think is pretty good well, that's good <laughs> so, that's good yeah, I how mean, do you feel about this the episode? body is such a tough act to follow mm-hmm. yeah. you can't especially because you can't do that again not just no. because you can't do that again but right. also because like we need okay backing up I feel <laughs> like this happens every time there is a an especially remarkable episode of Buffy the following right. episode it's a little shaky, not because mm-hmm. the writing is bad or because anything is not, you know, it's not that anything isn't working. It's just that it's so hard to kind of get back to where we yeah. need to be in order to keep the story moving along and to keep the overall look and feel of the show kind of back to normal because we have to reset right we have to kind of bring it back and as you say that i'm like okay well following up hush was doomed so i think doomed had two problems one it was a bad episode yeah two (laughs) it also was following hush and like how do you follow that up now we've got right we've got forever after the body which i think does a much better job and then when we get to season six where we come in with tabula rasa after uh once more with feeling i think actually we follow that up really really well um so yeah but it is not an enviable task. I think that the the post um, like seminal episode, the the one that comes after the seminal episode, always has a harder carry, like a heavier carry mm-hmm. than most of the other episodes, definitely. But how did you feel about Forever? Um, how did like how have you felt about it traditionally? Did this watch, looking at it critically, make it better for you? Sometimes it makes it worse. I it mean... all depends. <laughs> It's funny. So I watched it. The first time I watched it, it was kind of like, oh, the monkey's paw thing. Like, that's kind of a bummer. You know, like, Mm -hmm. we're gonna do the we're gonna resurrect Joyce. But also, I think this time through, I I get that more. I still don't love Mm -hmm. it. I don't love it as a I don't love it as an episode. I don't love it as a concept. But Mm -hmm. but what I appreciate more this time through especially after watching Dawn's 
trajectory in Mm -hmm. the body and feeling so much closer to dawn yes um Mm -hmm. during this watch i i get it more like i understand more where dawn is coming from and Mm -hmm. also if you live on a (laughs) hellmouth, i just kind of feel like this would be this would be a thing that would occur to you living on a hellmouth in a way that you know like yeah obviously like like death fucking sucks and it fucking sucks in our culture especially because Mm -hmm. we don't uh, you know imo we don't do it very well we don't really talk about it or prepare people for it in a way that Mm -hmm. i think would help us you know kind of grapple with it as a collective but that like that sensation or that that desire for okay this person who has died like they really just need to come through the door right now. Like mm-hmm. that would make this better. Right. I think when you live on a hellmouth and you have access to magical people <laughs> who can like Well, yeah, if you had access to the power, you know, and I like that moment too with Doc, you know, oh where my he's God. like, I can give you something that'll help with the grief, right? I because love it's the that. grief. Because that's that. it's the grief that makes this so unbearable. Like mm-hmm. grief is the um out of all of the emotions, it is the one that I personally hate the most, that I struggle with the most. Uh grief is um is gutting. Like yeah. it it cuts through you in a way that like I don't think any other experience really does. Um and it is it is so, so difficult to live with that grief. So the doc's option of, hey, maybe instead of doing this incredibly dangerous thing that could go so bad, uh, how about I give you something that, you know, take the edge off the grief, right? Yeah. Um, but that's not enough for dawn that's not acceptable for dawn you know she she needs her mother back um which i find i find really interesting like as a concept like i really did on this i've never liked this episode on this watch i actually enjoyed it a lot more i think because i had um i had much greater sympathy for for dawn and um and i like her a lot more uh in this episode than i have previously um but let's go ahead and get started and go through all the things that we because there's so much to talk about uh one of the great things though in this episode i think is spike and dawn right it's quickly becoming my favorite buffy pairing seriously like they yeah. are they are so good together in so many mm-hmm. ways yes. um I love the way in which they both exist outside of the core group. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that the two of them together highlight where they differ from their mm-hmm. prescribed narrative roles. So like yes. Dawn, as we've established, isn't easily unsettled or grossed out. I mean, she actively enjoys Spike's tales of, <laughs> you know, murder and mayhem. And sure. Spike, of course, as we've talked about, Mm-hmm. at length on this podcast is a vampire motivated by some sort of twisted caring and empathy like he really yeah he really seems to actually give an actual shit about dawn yeah. and her well-being which is yeah so it's just so great i love mm-hmm. the way he manages to come across in this episode and in others as protective of dawn without patron like he's not yes mm-hmm. he's not like the all-knowing vampire mm-hmm. who's gonna like patronize her and talk down to her and belittle yeah. her he's like 
genuinely does not want to see her do something regrettable. Um, Yeah. And Dawn here is so sad and so desperate, but she never seems weak. Right. At least to mm-hmm. me. I don't ever mm-hmm. I don't read no. her as like frail in any She's way. Badass. Um, this kid is fucking badass. It's a tough needle to thread, and yeah. I think Marty Noxon does it really well. I think she really does. I think she does. And I love this when you're talking about Spike, because I think that Spike is abs is the absolute expression of ride or die. Right? <laughs> like he, he will both ride and die. He is he will fine both with ride that. and die. He is good. Like his he is not concerned with whether it's right or wrong. When it comes to Dawn, if there's something that Dawn needs, he will make sure that she has it. And we have this moment too with Spike where he shows up with the flowers, right? And Xander's like, you know, Joyce is not your yeah. path to Buffy, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think that Spike ever saw Joyce as his path to Buffy. I don't think he ever sees Dawn as his path the Buffy we have this whole thing in this exchange where he's like Buffy never hears about this yeah like Buffy will kill me immediately like (laughs) he knows that helping Dawn with this is exactly the thing that Buffy wouldn't want so it's not about Buffy it's not about his love for Buffy but he loves all of these women I just can't stand to see a summer's woman take it Mm -hmm. so hard on the chin is all right Um, he loves Dawn he loves Joyce and he loves Buffy all in different ways but it's it's not about Buffy. And I really love that about this relationship that um, Spike and Dawn, um, he respects her in a way that nobody else really does. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't treat her like a kid, you know. Um, and the thing is, is that she is so incredibly strong, you know, throughout all of these episodes. I mean, she, you know, yeah, she's a, a little petty, a little resentful. We kind of see her. um sort of going through like all of her stuff, you know, um, and and the the getting angry with Willow and Tara because they won't do what she wants, mm-hmm. not listening to anybody, uh, being really petulant and resentful with Buffy during this whole episode. Um, those are a lot of reasons why we tend to not like Dawn. Um, but actually, like, I kind of want to unpack Dawn a little yeah. bit um, about and talk about why I like her and why I feel for her, because the the popular opinion, I think the most rubber stamped general opinion in the fandom that as far as I've seen um, is that everybody hates Dawn. Dawn's yeah. terrible. Dawn's the annoying little sister, blah, 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 blah. Um, I actually find Dawn and increasingly so as we move forward, uh, really compelling and interesting. And I find fucking like her because she's a goddamn badass like back when the queller demon came in and this kid who is 14 lives on a goddamn hellmouth with a slayer for a sister beats hell out of this space demon throwing gook on her on her sick mother i mean my god dawn is serious business she's a badass and the fact that she's sometimes a little um snippy and resentful and sulky and whatever you know she's a teenager um and i think that that can be part of it but you know like Dawn is a kid. She's like 14 years old. And I, you know, I know I'm the one who always says reality is no defense for fiction. (laughs) And it's not, but it's really less about reality than it is about coding. Um, So I'm going to talk about coding a little bit in fiction so that we kind of have a a perspective on this as we talk about Dawn, you know, moving forward. Um, 
So coding in fiction is when one thing is actually two things, right? Um, so Buffy is 16 when we start her story, right? Uh, Dawn at this point is like 14. She is not mm-hmm. that much older than Buffy. Buffy, when she um, was called to be a slayer, was like 15. So there's not a lot of daylight between where Dawn is now and where Buffy was then. Um, but Buffy, from the beginning of this, has been coded as an adult. Um, you know, so in the same way that like um, any sentient life form in fiction capable of making choices is coded as like say human right right? um so most demons in buffy are actually coded as animals they're just monsters in a state of animalistic destruction and they don't make active choices right um most vampires in buffy are coded as human they're just evil human Mm -hmm. by making them vampires we get to see only the evil in them uh but it's a more complex evil generally than your standard demon type of evil and we actually have made heroes out of a couple of uh, vampires spike and angel um respectively um But, you know, if you compare your response to the snake demon that was going to eat the babies in the band candy episode um, Uh and you compare that snake demon with the mayor as a giant snake demon. Right. The mayor is a human coded snake demon. The snake demon (laughs) eating the babies is an animal coded snake demon. You see, our responses to them are just simply different because of the way in which they are coded. So coding in fiction allows you to have one thing that is two things. Right. Um, So we use coding so that we can take one thing out of its natural state and shift it, allowing us to focus more clearly on certain aspects of that experience. Um, So through the use of coding, Buffy is not actually a child. Right. Right. Um, She is textually 16. Right. I'm 16, Giles. I don't want to die. Right. Textually, she is 16. But due to her power and her autonomy, I mean, let's not forget how many times in the early seasons we were like, where the fuck is Joyce? (laughs) Right. You know. Um, she is functionally an adult. That house is Buffy's house. Right. It's not Joyce's house. It's Buffy's house, right? You know, um, it, it Buffy is an adult for the purposes of this story, but we are giving her the trappings of the teenage experience so that we can talk about that as well. So we're doing two things at once. Um, so anything we, you know, we have the same thing with the coding for Angel, right? He's textually 240 something years old, but he's coded much younger. Younger. Um, he's still too old for a 16-year-old Buffy, but Buffy's coded as adult. Mm-hmm. So this is the reason why for everybody who has looked at themselves and questioned their morality with why am I okay with a 243-year-old vampire uh, having sex with a 16-year-old girl and why am I devastated every time she has to kill him and they play close your eyes, why am I devastated? This is the reason why you're devastated by that because of coding, because you are actually supposed to be able to get past that that um and it is because buffy is always coded as an adult so do not feel like there's something wrong with you this is how the fiction is actually functioning you know and supposed to function so back to dawn right dawn is never coded as an adult she is a child and she's even actually coded younger in the early episodes Mm -hmm. Um, she comes off as like 11 or 12 instead of 14 or 15 um so dawn even in her mid-teenage years you know 14 15 whatever she is now while she's textually close in age to buffy uh, she is still a child, you know, um, and t- and close in age to the age that Buffy was when we started and Buffy was an adult. Um, she is still 
little child. She is coded as a child. Um, so, and as a child, these characters are given more leeway to misbehave, to make mistakes, to throw petty little tantrums, that kind of thing. Um, when she grows up, makes hard choices, does the adult thing, it's impressive, whereas for an adult, that behavior would just be expected. Um, so while Dawn is being bratty to Buffy and to Willow and Tara, you know, when they won't help her, it's forgivable because she's a child, she's in a great deal of pain, right? Um, and not to mention, it was just a few weeks ago when she found out she wasn't even quote unquote real, although we've argued about what real even means. So anybody can go back to those episodes right. of Still Pretty for that discussion. Um, but Braddy Dawn is Braddy. Yes, we know that. But it is forgivable. She is a child. Um, but what is important here is what she does first to get Joyce back and when and what she does when Joyce is actually at the door. Um, Dawn cannot be stopped in her pursuit of what she believes is the right thing to do. She wants to bring her mother back. She steals books and ingredients from Giles. She gets dirt from her mother's grave. She goes with Spike to Doc's and faces that guy down and he is scary. Uh, then steals <laughs> an egg from a Gora demon that is currently consuming her vampire protector and may very easily kill her but she won't leave until the job is fucking done and I'm sorry that's impressive <laughs> let me just say a skunk wandered into my mudroom the other day and started eating our cat food and I just stood there opened the door and waited for it to waddle out on its own I mean granted the stakes weren't near <laughs> as high as this but if that skunk had an egg that I required for a spell and all I was risking was getting sprayed I wouldn't be as brave as Dawn was in the face of death <laughs> snatching that egg so I I'm giving it up for Dawn in that circumstance. Um, so when Buffy, with all of her strength, with all of the expectations and responsibilities of adulthood pressing down on her, runs to the door and says, Mommy, Dawn rips up the picture. Yep. And this is why Dawn deserves some goddamn respect. I mean, in the moment when it mattered, when what she'd done was going to hurt her mother and her sister, she did the right thing, the adult thing. And that is never easy to do when you're an adult. And it's not the easy thing to do now. And Dawn does it. And that is my defense of Dawn. I rest my case. <laughs> well, I love it. And I love you're absolutely right about the way that Dawn is coded versus the way that Buffy is coded. Mm -hmm. And as hard as that final scene is of their confrontation in the living room mm -hmm. where, you know, zombie yeah. Joyce is going to be outside any minute, um, which for zombie Joyce, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I love yeah. that this moment of the, the sisters yeah. really like they really are on equal ground now mm -hmm. and it's all of the stuff <laughs> that they've been holding on to is able yep. to come out and we see in that moment Buffy Buffy lean into her childishness mm -hmm. for lack of a better word yeah. and Dawn lean into her adulthood mm -hmm. a little bit more and it's just a great it's, it's a great emotional yeah conclusion to what mm -hmm. we've been doing throughout the body and then again through forever but yeah i i like dawn more and more um yeah. and i don't know that that will continue to be the case but right mm -hmm. now i'm very much 
teamed on. I'm very much teamed on too. I'm very impressed with this kid. I think she's really, really tough and and just like what she's been going through this season. Um, everything that's been happening to her, how she's been handling it, how she's been processing it, um, shows a, a tremendous store of strength and resilience and courage um, that I think is a big deal in a kid that age and in that character. And I actually really, really like her and respect her, um, you know, even even in, you know, a, an episode in which she appears to be just, you know, 99% pissy. Well, you know, yeah, there's something there's something to her sneaking around too. like mm-hmm. when she's like, yeah. oh, you know, Willow told me that some of the books are dangerous. I'm like, you know, the mom part of me is like uh, Dawn mm-hmm. and the, the you know, was once a yeah. a quasi sneaky teenager part of me is like yeah that was slick right like she's gonna get she's gonna figure out where Mm -hmm. those things are that she needs and get them and it's really it's it is crafty it is Mm -hmm. clever it is teenage sneakiness in a way that i don't totally approve of but definitely identify with and i love it i'm like this is it's resourceful yeah she's good that is some like she is a sneaky little bugger and i kind of gotta give it up for her i dig it Um, i dig it yeah i like it but oh god tara and willow (gasps) oh my speaking of people i love i mean loud awooga noises right (laughs) like like, is it just is it just me or is this like is this where we start raising the red flags? Like, oh no, we're I laying feel track. Like we are hard laying track. Here right now. we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's looking like a big recurring conflict, and I'm just yeah. I, I hate it so much. It's so hard. I, I know. Hate it. Tara as the tactful mm-hmm. handler of grief. You know, yeah. just like checking in with Buffy at the cemetery. You know, backing Willow up when Willow's Willow's trying to comfort Dawn and Tara's like, we're witches, we know stuff. And then Tara, you know, Tara's trying to like massage this like Wicca grief counselor thing and, you know, really just validating Dawn's experience. You know, they, it's not fair. She says it's awful and unfair. Yeah. Tara's handling this beautifully, even though her particular brand of like, you know, it's going to get better doesn't work as well with Dawn as it does with Buffy. Right. And then Willow has to jump in with their books on resurrection. I'm just like, (laughs) no, Willow, Tara had this. Tara has actual lived experience with this. Like, knock it off. And like, yes, I know that if there's, you know, if it's just... We have this like difficult conversation about death and emotions with Aunt Tara and then Dawn is fine. Like there's no story. I understand yeah. why this has to go this way. Yeah. But but I just I just want them to be okay. I just it's want hard. them to like no, I you want, want them to be happy. Yeah. I want Tara and Willow to be this like healthy relationship yes. and like back each other. I want other them to be up. healthy and boring. Oh my yes. god. 
down yes. to every last bagel. Like I want. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just, it's so incredibly sweet and I love them both so much, but I also do. I, I like what we do with Willow. I like that we, we talk about, I mean, how we do it, you know, especially as we get into season six, where all of this really escalates. Um, I, I think I have some definite like reservations about, but the idea of what happens to you as you gain power, like if you had the power to change things um, magically. Oh, God, look like, out. I'm sorry. Yeah, like No, I, seriously. Like uh, the, the expectation of Willow to be better than any of the rest of us could possibly be in the face of that kind of power. Like if you knew that you could you know, even if there were consequences that you could, um, that is a, a huge, you know, a huge thing. Like there, but for the grace of God, go any of right? us, right? There, but there, but for the corruptive um, element of power, uh, go any of us, you know, um, that if we could, if we had the power to make the world the way that we saw fit, um, how, how would we live in the world the way that it is? Right. Yeah. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. There's a whole bunch of really, really interesting philosophical questions surrounding that. I love that we use Willow to ask those questions because Willow is such a beloved character. Um, at the same time, I'm with you. Boring and happy. I'm like, could they just like have a conversation and like not have to lie to each other? And uh, like she keeps it secret. She knows she's ashamed. She knows it's wrong or she knows that Tara at any rate would not approve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think it being wrong is not necessarily the concern for Willow. It's that she knows that Tara would not approve. And so yeah. she doesn't tell. And so she's lying on top of everything else. She's not even having the argument. Yeah. You know? And I don't know if Tara just doesn't spot the lying or if she's putting that conversation on the back burner until the actual danger is over. But the whole thing is such a bummer. Yeah. The whole thing is no, such... No, it, it is. Oh, I do not. I do not like it. It's really hard. It's so heartbreaking because, God, we love these two. And last week, right, we yep. got our first sweet, wonderful lesbian kiss. It was beautiful. Um, without being um, objectified or any yeah. of that nonsense, you know, um, it was lovely. So we get that. And then the next episode, we get hit in the face with this, which is subtly. I mean, it's it's track laid somewhat subtly. I mean, I think you absolutely would have to be seriously distracted to not pick up on it, mm-hmm. you know, but also that that's the kind of thing that could just be a minor conflict for this episode. We don't necessarily know where we're going with this or how much they're going to play this out at this point. Um, you know, if you haven't seen the whole thing. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, they are, they are laying that track hard. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, and we've established some of this already, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. with their different relationships yeah. to magic, Tara's yeah. like, you know, we're like, this is a powerful thing and we're going to take it easy. And Willow's all, yeah, I'm just going to like make a light. I'm going to make a light source and I'm going to fix this with magic and I'm going to move that with magic. And you can see, you know, early, early Mm -hmm. in their relationship, Tara's like, I don't know. (laughs) Well, Tara grew up being gaslit about the the potential dangers of her quote unquote power, which Mm -hmm. was not a power that she... You know, it was not demonic in nature, but she grew up 
with that feeling like she was going to be evil and she takes that very, very seriously and watches out for it. Whereas Willow just kind of stumbled into this, you know, this witchy stuff, uh, picking it up from Jenny Calendar and running with it and, um, and has developed a lot of power. And in that process, you know, that's, that's something that is absolutely corrupting her. And it's, um, it's really hard to watch. Um, but I do kind of love it. Like, I love it and I hate it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, and for me, like, that's kind of the best when it's yeah. like, oh, you're, when you're just, conflicted. Ah. Yeah. 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 Because we do see, you know, we think of Willow, or at least mm-hmm. I think of Willow as this kind of sort of, she's established as this kind of pure of heart. Yeah. You know, she's sort of a sweet, innocent and then she goes on this journey of personal transformation. Mm-hmm. And part of that is being exceptionally good at magic. And when you are exceptionally good at something, mm-hmm. it's a slippery slope onto I am exceptionally better than other people. Right. Right. Because there is no binary state, right? Yeah. There's no binary good evil. Like you're always on the spectrum. And the thing is, is that watching Willow's like literal empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. As she goes through this whole process of being kind of like this, this, it's pardon me for this willowy, you know, wayfish sort of background uh-huh. wallflower type of person, right? And then she gradually goes through this process of becoming, right? Which is a huge theme for Buffy is the the process of becoming what it is that you are, mm-hmm. right? We we ride that as a theme through all of Buffy all the way to cookie dough at the end, right? You know, like <laughs> we ride that hard, this process of becoming. What is what is that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a growth story. That is a coming of age story is becoming. Right. So here we have Willow slowly becoming what it is that she's going to be. And she is at at her core, like a good person, like we have grown to love her and appreciate her. And she has often been the voice of wisdom, you know. Um, But as we move further and further, I mean, something blue, right? You know, something blue is where things went awry. That was an opportunity for her to learn about her power. And she made her guilt cookies at the end. But when it comes right (laughs) down to it, she's always going to be reaching for that power. She's always going to be trying to make things the way that she feels they should be. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like if we go back to Lover's Walk when she was going to do a spell on Xander so that she didn't like him so much anymore and she wasn't attracted to him anymore. Right. Without him knowing, without his, his yeah. consent. Right. Yeah. Um, these are all these are all things that are on that, you know, on that trajectory and that spectrum. Um, as you become more and more like literally empowered you have to take more and more responsibility for that power not to pull in spider-man but with great power comes great responsibility (laughs) right as i will always pull in um and and that always becomes something that that requires as we become more empowered that requires our own moderation of that power yeah um and that is a very very difficult thing to do and we're seeing willow we've been seeing willow slide since season three you know and it's so slow and so gradual and and so earned. I and mean, it's earned. This yeah. is track that is being laid, yeah. you know, as as bad as and there's bad stuff in season six. I'm not going to say that there isn't. There's bad stuff in season six. Um, but 
as even the bad stuff like this as a storyline as a theme um as a philosophical question i think has been super earned mm-hmm. <laughs> in buffy mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean okay speaking of magic and responsibility yes i you mentioned a doc earlier and mm-hmm. how he offers don a grief tonic to help her. What an emotional roller coaster we go on with Doc <gasps> and Dawn. Oh my where he god. clearly oh my god. First of all, Joel Gray is Doc. Yes. I love yes. all of it. Hallelujah. Amen. I yes. love him. Mm-hmm. I love him so much. But there's this like it's such great emotional narrative trickery that like he's mm-hmm. we start off and he's like, look, you don't want to mess around with that kind of magic. Yeah. Like it's really not a good idea up until the conclusion of that scene where he shakes her hand and says, let me know how it goes. And his eyes flash dark and the glow growl. And oh, my God, like. <sighs> sneaky bugger i love it so much i know and he's so (laughs) avuncular and then you know he's got this like really like folksy sort of charm to him you know and the way that he talks to spike and he's like oh and also you're a vampire you know but i could have sworn you were that guy there is something about him that is so it's so incredibly well written and then like even if he was just in this episode that was all we ever saw of doc um you know fine fair enough awesome but his role in the gift, you know, oh when we finally yep. get there, um, is something that that you know, and, and sort of backfills this scene with even more of a sense of this this ominous oppression of how how dark this is actually going to go. Yeah, um, I love it. It's so good. It's so mm-hmm. good. I do wish. That the music, the the non-diegetic music in this scene was not there or was more right. subtle, though, because yeah. there's some serious, like, something bad is about to happen music playing. Yes. And I just mm-hmm. would, like, just pump the brakes a little bit, guys, because that moment where, you know, we've seen his tail and mm-hmm. John is like, oh, holy shit. And Spike is like, shrug, you know, because, yeah. of course. Um <laughs> Spike is like shrug is something I want that on like a which I also love I love when Dawn is like holy shit what did you bring me to like and it's all it's nonverbal right it's all in the look it's she's like holy shit who did you bring me to see for real what is this and Spike is just like shruggies you know but then he there's this I I enjoy that twist so much Mm -hmm. if Doc has been so kind and he then he shakes Don's hand and we get that low growl and I want that to be even more of a shock and the fact that the yeah. music is like da 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 right. you know leading up to that I'm just not I'm right. not a fan um, because the music does definitely you know foreshadow that this is this is not as you know sweet and avuncular as as it may appear you know yeah, yeah. because I mean of like naturally right it couldn't mm-hmm. be this dude is gonna help you like raise the for dead. free right says no cost just let me yeah. know how it goes just right? let me know how like, it goes yeah. that's a yeah that's a, you know he's up to no good mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. well, somebody and- comes at the middle of the night wakes him up 
And he does this and he's like, yeah, no, yeah. no cost. And right? the way he whistles Peter and the wolf. Mm-hmm. Why is that so good? Why do I love that so much? It is all so good. And Joel Gray, I mean, come on. Like Buffy doesn't do a lot of stunt casting at all. I can't. I'm trying to think of another instance of stunt casting. And Joel Gray is like a big name. Like he's a he's a dude. He's a big you know? deal. Yeah. Yeah. So to have him in there is stunt casting. And that I find really interesting. Is it stunt casting when? Okay. Talk to me more about stunt casting because I have this like vague sense of what I think it is, but I'm curious. Yeah. As to I what- mean, I think that what stunt casting is, is that you have a guest star who is so well known that saying on this episode of Buffy, Joel Gray, blah, 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 mm-hmm. will actually bring more viewers in. So that is the essential stunt casting. Now, is Joel Gray being on Buffy necessarily going to bring a lot more viewers in? Joel Gray, of course, is a big Broadway star, um, really well known um, to like, you know, particular audiences. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I think it's like in the arena of stunt casting. Is it like it's not like it was, you know, um, I don't know who was big in the early. Well, I feel aughts, like, OK, you know? here's what here's what I like think. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise would be stunt casting. Right. Like, or if we're yeah. doing mm-hmm. like if we're doing, say, I don't know, hypothetically, a musical episode. Oh, right. Yes. And perhaps. we cast Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. That to me right. feels more like stunt casting. Yes. Than this does, unless. Mm-hmm. See, I don't know. It's a higher profile, though. Usually in, in Buffy, they have lower profile people, you know, playing these parts. Um, people that are not necessarily really well known for other things, right? They become well known for Buffy, you know, but in, in the casting of this, they're not really that well known outside of that. Um, so Joel Gray is somebody who had a name. You know, totally. was known. And so when he comes in to play a demon, that's a big deal. We're going to do this again in season seven with Ashanti, right? Mm-hmm. That's absolutely stunt casting. Um, and uh, so I think that like this happens on occasion, but Buffy generally doesn't engage in that. So I, th- I think Joel Gray is probably not the the height of stunt casting. You're right. Britney Spears in the musical episode would be the height of stunt casting, you know, or, but it is unusual for Buffy yeah. to, to bring somebody in to play a role uh, who has a, a, who is well known, you know, culturally yeah. outside of that. Yeah. Oh God. Now I just want to see Joel Gray as the dancing demon from, <gasps> uh, once more with feeling. Yeah. I, like, that would have been something. I mean, that would have been a different, that would have been a different yeah. story. And now yeah. like, as soon as we're done with this, I have to go YouTube me some cabaret because oh, yes. oh, Joel Grey yes. as the master of ceremonies in cabaret is one of my favorite things of all fantastic. time. Like it's yeah. pretty fantastic. Yeah. yeah Even Zagora Demon is beautiful. Like oh, it's so yeah. <laughs> he's but he's wonderful. He's wonderful. Uh-huh. He's so scary at the end. Yeah. I just, I love everything. I love everything about that it's scene. beautifully done. It really, really is. And I'm not a big fan of the whole like Gora demon thing. Like when they go in and they get the egg and everything feels very paper mache. Everything feels very ridiculous. <laughs> you know, we, ridiculous practical effects and rubber We had demon. some leftover big rubber snake parts from our snake with arms conjuring there is, situation. Exactly. There is no limit of snake demons just in like, this whole, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're they're evocative for a number of reasons, but I felt like right. really, guys, like another yeah. another hey, snakey you know, kind you of gotta, a thing. 
You just, you got to save money where you can. I you did know? like yeah. heads it is. I did yeah. like Spike saying right. heads up and then it's revealed that the Gora demon has multiple heads and he says heads it is. And heads it is. Yeah. Pretty no, great. It's nice. I like the scene itself. I mean, I like the way that, that Spike is like, no, this is too dangerous. And Dawn is like, fuck that. She goes in and gets the egg. And then Spike <laughs> is like, I will protect you. You know, my He's princess. like, I don't have a weapon, but I'm going to jump on this thing anyway. That's cool. Which I love. I love that Spike is like, yeah, I'll take a bite from a Gora demon. See how this ends. You sure. know, absolutely. Why like, not? it's just, I love that. Well, and also that he's there. He will protect it. He ride or die, right? Yep. Going to be like, we're likely to die. And she's like, I'm a ride. And he yep. goes, let me get my helmet. It's, I'm in with you. You know, and I great. kind of love that about him and that relationship. It's so great. I think that that's really good. Yeah. I And of course, the eggs suggest that this is a mother demon Mm -hmm. right i mean i don't know all about the about gora demon reproduction but i'm guessing (laughs) i mean i would guess if you're gonna if you're gonna extrapolate with the standard right and if you want to do you know if you want to do like this is a metaphor about mommy Mm -hmm. issues and life and death and you know what's funny about that is it didn't occur to me as i was watching the episode but writing up thoughts for the podcast i was like Hang on. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the perfect job for Spike with his history of mommy issues. Oh, sure. Specifically dead mommy issues. Right. We don't know about that at this well, point. Well, yeah, but like. But, that's, but I mean, overall, did they yeah, know? absolutely. Did they know that that's did where Spike's story with his know. mother would eventually go? I have no idea. I'm guessing know. probably not, but who knows? Yeah. It's still kind of amazing. I kind of mm-hmm. love it. I mm-hmm. love the idea that the idea of like. A dead and then possibly monstrous mother is like Spike's like, yeah, I'm cool with this. Right. <laughs> like, I'm cool with let's whatever see, you want to do. Let's see how it turns out. Right. Let's just exactly. I mean, Spike's been around for a long time. I think honestly, he's just like, let's see. Worst right? that can happen is you have to stake your own mother in the heart because she turns into a heartless a, a vampire. vampire who wants to have sex with you. Sure. That's fine. She that turns into fine. a literal edible nightmare. That could absolutely <laughs> happen, but you know what? If it does, you just roll with it. Exactly. You know, just, what's exactly. next? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because it wouldn't be it would not be a Weedonian family dynamic if you didn't have to stake your own vampire mother in the heart. It's No, seriously. It's just... Oh god. <laughs> Speaking of no one can be happy ever. Buffy yes. and Angel. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Like the Buffy and Angel thing. Now, here's the thing. Um, I, you know, everybody knows, and I know that everybody knows this because I get shit for it on Twitter all the time <laughs> that I prefer Spike to, to Angel, right? You know, um, and well, there are a lot of reasons for that. And we're going to yeah. have that discussion. But a big part of it is because of this idea of the romance versus the love story, right? Um, a romance is this hyperbolic, you know, everything's wild, vampire slayer and love love with a vampire like this whole thing the vampire with the soul and like how like wild and Heathcliff moaning on the moors that bullshit is right you know we're like really into it and like and when I say that bullshit is like I'm, I was into it y'all can go back and listen to season one season two yes I was into the whole like wild romance of Buffy and Angel like I enjoyed that right but there is a difference between a romance and a love story and I do think that Buffy and Angel are also 
a love story. But a lot of it is this hyperbolic, wild romance kind of thing that is un sustainable, right? The love story is the thing that you want. The love story, like I've been writing, I started out as a novelist writing romances. And the thing that I didn't realize as I was writing romances is that I actually don't care for the central concept behind a romance, you know, Mm. which is that it's all about the attainment, right? It's about the attainment. They have sex, then they have to get married and it's happily ever after. And then if you do, if you show them in the future, then they must have children and be wildly happy and never is anything ever wrong again. Right. right? Um, and I find that inherently unsatisfying. Um, and while you can have a love story that has romantic elements, definitely um, the, when we ride on the side of romance, which I think we do more with Buffy and Angel than necessarily with Spike and Buffy, um, you end up with this hyperbolic, we can never, be together we are in love and you're the one but you know but it can't work and all of this kind of stuff that we have with Buffy and Angel Um, and there is definitely some love story there I think when he breaks up with her at the end of season three that that is a love story that is you know we can't be together I Mm -hmm. want you to have a happy life Mm -hmm. you know and because I want that I need to leave because I am the thing preventing you from having what it is that you should have you know Um, so I actually do kind of like that Um, this moment here with Buffy and Angel is a love story. It is love story more than romance. Um, and I, I like this. He shows up for her because her mother has died. He spends the night sitting with her and holding her and listening to her and talking with her and knowing that he's going to leave, knowing that they're not going to be together. Um, they have this kiss which is very, very sweet, but fuck the producers for playing close your eyes underneath it, which god damn it. It makes me cry no matter what, no matter the circumstance. If close your eyes was on a uh, like merry-go-round calliope machine, right? I would still weep when I heard it. You know, it's just, it's one of those things that like close your eyes, the strains of close your eyes. It is the fast car of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like you just, you you have, you gotta be prepared for that shit. No, exactly. And I mean, granted it was Buffy and Angel and I should have known it was coming, but still every time they play those strains, I'm like, shut up, stop it. Don't do this to me. Um, But in this circumstance, like even when they're kissing, even when close your eyes is playing underneath, right? Um, It is, they know, they know that, that this can't go, they can't start this up again. You know, this isn't going to be who they are. And at this point, this is when the love story starts. The last times we saw, like whenever Buffy went over to Angel or Angel came over to Buffy, right? Angel comes over to Buffy and pangs. He can't see her. They cannot speak. It is so tragic. You know, then she goes to see him, you know, and ask why he did that. And then we've got what? We've got, I will remember you, which fuck, right? Emotionally manipulative bullshit, but okay. They have this day together and he's human again and it's wonderful. And then he gives it up and he remembers but she doesn't oh my god that hyperbolic bullshit is romance that is not love story um so then you know we've got him her going to see him after he has rescued faith and then they've got that big fight and they smack each other and you know and she punches him in the face and it's all fine but he punches her back and she's like how dare you you know like that is all hyperbolic bullshit he shows up you know in town and fights with riley and you know 
does I don't like which him is admittedly great but it's great <laughs> but it's romance and the thing is, is like that's fine like romance is what it is it is this wild crazy like you know um exploration but it also like romance ends when they get together yeah. romance is the when it's all romance this is the thing where they're like oh the couple cannot sleep together because if they sleep together then everything is done and who cares anymore that's a romance mm-hmm. a love story does not end a love story continues throughout and you can combine a love story and a romance which we do with Buffy and Angel a little bit but it's always more romance you can combine a love story with a romance which we do a little with Spike and Buffy towards season six and season seven Mm -hmm. Um, but it's always more of a love story because the thing with Spike and Buffy is that they're always honest with each other they always know each other very deeply they understand each other in ways that nobody understands either one of them Um, and they are always connected in that way um whereas buffy would lie to angel to protect him you know and to save mm-hmm. his 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 tender fragile vampire boy feelings right um, oh my she, god right <laughs> there's a moment i'm sorry i just have yes. to interrupt your like romance no, love story rap because there's this moment where she's leaning up against him and it's all like beautifully framed and all this you know and everything and she's like I can stick wood in vampires all I want. And he, his face, he's like, what? Like, right. just, like you, you just see it registered. Like, it's like, I'm like, he just has that moment of like, ouch. Yeah, like, <laughs> not what? <laughs> but then he, he, he calms down. He lets the moment be about her. It's I appreciate so that. It's so funny, though. Like, his that, yeah. face in that yes. moment just. yes it's too funny it is it is incredibly sweet i really it's a really really fun moment but i mean that's the thing like there is this like history and relationship between them that they can have these discussions now they can be honest with each other and i think that this is in forever what we get of buffy and angel is actually the love story part of things um which i really really like um and i i prefer the love story because i think the love story is just more sustainable um the love story doesn't get boring after they have sex That's why Spike and Buffy do not get boring after (laughs) smashed and wrecked, right? You know, Um, they get they get more interesting after that because it is a love story. Because there's more going on there. Because there's more complication, and because a love story is truly about um, about them loving each other rather than them possessing each other once the possession happens in a romance we're done right we're just Mm -hmm. like give us the happily ever after move on and give us the next acquisition and you know and possession um because acquisition and possession once you have acquired once you have possessed there's no need like whatever happens after that is just nothing it's boring right when that's I mean, the, when that's the core of that story but when the core of the story is love love continues to be an expression throughout the entire run of that relationship i mean i still think buffy and angel are boring and i don't care who knows it but like, <laughs> no and i, mean, I respect that I re- if the romance angle of it does not work for you that's your response that's well, going to be your response and like even the love story element of it like i mm-hmm. i get i get why this scene is here and mm-hmm. i get that for some viewers i think this probably feels like really meaningful and it's i was just slightly like, fan servicey though yeah it feels fan servicey to a type of fan that i am not and also yes. i just like 
he steps up like they you know they do this like super dramatic beautiful lighting (laughs) shift to imply that she's been literally standing in that spot all day just mourning her dead mother and then her Mm -hmm. ex-boyfriend who's a vampire comes and i'm just like (laughs) come on noxon this this guy like really but really but also you know to completely undermine my own argument that i was about to make like who the hell else is it going to be, right? Right. Buffy yeah. needs to say this stuff about like, I don't... Yeah, what's it, it's going to be Spike? I don't no, think so. Not, right. No, not mm-hmm. a chance. Like, no. like the mm-hmm. reason that Angel shows up, the reason he shows up is because she cannot say any of what mm-hmm. she says in that scene to anyone yeah. else. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's there, which, yeah. all right, but I still don't like it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fine. It's not for me. It's fine, right? Um, but also this weekend, men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this weekend, men. This weekend, oh, men. Gosh, this is my favorite thing. I love when you bring oh, this God. in. Go, go, go. Well, no, I mean, you put this. So, so you put this heading in our notes, and I just cracked up when I saw it because the heading just says Ben sucks. And I'm, like, oh, 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 oh. I'm like, yeah, he he really does. Like, he's not getting any less shitty as we go along. Which no, Ben super super such fucking sucks. I yes. like the idea of I like the idea of Ben so much. Uh-huh. Yes, but he's yeah. terrible. I and like the idea of Ben being internally conflicted, knowing that his other half is evil and actually trying to stop it. But what Ben is, is the worst form of coward. Um, you know, and there are a million reasons why Ben is terrible. And trust me, we will hit on them all <laughs> in the course of this season. But the fact that he didn't care enough about dropping a hint about Dawn to be sure that he finished the job with Jinx is cowardice in the extreme. He left Jinx alive deliberately. Dude is a doctor. He knows when something's dead. Yeah. Uh, But he also knows that if Glory fails, he dies. This is the moment that he betrays Dawn. I know we're going to say it's later on, but fuck Mm -hmm. no, it is not. This is the moment when he betrays Dawn. Leaving Jinx alive. Yep. Yeah, he stabbed Jinx so he could feel like a good guy so that in the end when Glory destroyed everything by killing Dawn, he would feel like or he could lie to himself and say, well, I tried, you know, Um, but he's not. I'd respect him more if he was directly on Glory's side and actively trying to help her. But this middle of the road, mealy mouths bullshit, him dropping that, I would never do that to an innocent. I also will argue that he deliberately dropped that an innocent Right. To get that across. Like he deliberately dropped the hint and he deliberately left Jinx alive because he knows that his life is tied to glory. And, you know, he would be a much more compelling character if this were about him and his whole yeah. process of like yeah. sh- literally sharing a body with yeah. this being like that is a really interesting story. And we're not telling that story. So, yeah, oh, he just sucks. Yeah. He's just terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, he's just he's just awful, and I fucking hate him. And yeah, yeah. So I guess this weekend men is mine because Ben fucking sucks. This weekend men, Ben this sucks. This weekend men is mine. Just, mine. I mean, ben sucks. Yeah. I mean, but we do have a couple of like non sucky moments mm-hmm. from from our male cast that yes. I don't really mm-hmm. have anything super meaningful to say about other than I noticed this and it made me feel things. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> when Xander says that he might visit Willow's mom, Willow says she's going to go oh, visit her mom. Yeah. And Xander says, I might... You know, I might visit your mom too. And Willow shoots him a look and he says, I'm not going to my place. Those people are scary. <laughs> I love okay. Yeah. I love this as a chosen family yes. nod. Mm-hmm. And I also really like that it could have been a your mom joke. Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. it was written that way, but it doesn't come across that way. And I just appreciate that. Yes. That no, I absolutely appreciate that. This I think moment really that nice. like could have been mm-hmm. a oh, your mom is right. actually like no, a, I, would, I love your mom. Yeah, yeah, like your mom is rad and I would be sad if she died. Um, yeah. I think that's great. So and too. fucking Giles listening to Cream's <gasps> Tales of Brave Ulysses, oh my which he God. listened to which with Joyce and Fan Candy. And, and I'm done. Candy. I'm done. I know. I know. And we just have that one moment. Like it's a very, very brief scene that's just sort of thrown in. It's yeah. almost a transitional thing. Like we're there with him for five seconds as he has a scotch and he thinks about Joyce. And it's just it's so wonderful. And it shows him um him taking that time to like honor her and her memory and and what she meant to him even though we never really explored that that much you know beyond the uh punchline of you know maybe you can sleep with my mother again or whatever yeah. at the end of earshot you know um but uh but yeah it's um it's really incredibly sweet and i like that a lot so i think that we do have some you know we have some good moments this week in men you know <laughs> this week in men is not always bad uh but but ben fucking sucks um so, Noelle, what are you wearing this week? So, I want to talk about Dawn's, speaking of coding of Dawn, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Dawn's fishtail braids and her baseball yeah. tee in the opening scene. They're in the funeral home and Buffy is like sneaking around the caskets and okay, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I see what you did there, Noxon. It's yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> but they've got Dawn in like full on little kid mode. Yeah. Which... Mm-hmm. Yes and no. I mean, her fishtail braids are gorgeous. Yes. But they're Mm -hmm. definitely like making her this, like, she is a child. Yeah. And then we go to the dinner table and this isn't clothing, but it, how she appears in that opening scene ties Mm -hmm. in. She has a fucking plastic cup at the dinner table. Like, it's like a pink plastic cup that Willow Mm -hmm. is pouring her some water and i'm like wow we're just we're hitting this like yeah we're hitting this child dawn is a child thing so well she's sleeping in a sleeping bag on the floor at willows which is right which is such a kid thing to do yeah the like i gotta i gotta sleep over with my witch friends but but on the same like kind of on that on that same hand, you know, in that final confrontation scene with Buffy, she's like, I don't have anybody. You mm-hmm. have all of these people. Yeah. And I don't have anybody, which is a very I don't know, that feels like a very 14-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, in between kind of a space to be in. You know, Buffy Buffy opens up and talks about like I have to be the adult because yeah. mom's not here anymore. Right. And if mom's not here anymore, then I have to do it. And if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Dawn is like, I just, I don't even know. Like, I was just totally on the edge of figuring out who the hell I was. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. all of this. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, 
I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting child adult dynamic, but they're hitting the Dawn is a little kid thing really, really hard. They are hitting that really, really hard. And that is very deliberate. You know, I mean, it's obviously something that they're very deliberately trying to do is show that Dawn is, is still a child. And it's always really interesting to me when I think about how textually close she is to the age that Buffy was when she was called Mm -hmm. and Buffy was no longer a child, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I find that really, really interesting. Um, and I think that it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy of of bringing out both the childishness in Dawn and her adultness. Mm-hmm. You know, like this this transition into adulthood that happens when you have to do things you don't want to do. <laughs> you know, which is uh, kind of the 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 main definition, I guess, of adulthood. But uh, well, and that yeah. brings us into our girl power moment of the week really nicely, I think. Yes, it does. Oh, not with a girl power bit. Yeah. Dawn ripping up that picture of Joyce. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the moment when Buffy runs to the door and says, Mommy, and we do have that flip, right? You know, Dawn is the kid throughout this whole thing. And then at the end, we flip. And for a moment, Buffy's a child. Mommy, yeah. right? And then Dawn rips up that paper and does what has to be done even though it's painful, even though she wants nothing more than to see her mother, you know, she rips it up. And that is such an adult moment. That is such an empowering moment for her. Um, I love it. I think this is a great episode for Dawn. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. All right. So, Noelle, what's your favorite part? Oh, I've talked about it a bunch already, but it's Doc's eyes shifting and that low growl as he says, keep in touch. All right. Ah, I love it. 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 Good, good <laughs> stuff. What about you? What's your favorite part? Uh, Spike, ride or die. Ride or die, Spike, <laughs> with Dawn. You know, like, yeah, this is dangerous. Are we doing it? We're doing it. Okay, fine. Let's do it. Like, you know, like he is just absolutely not going to let her go through that alone. He's going to make sure that she is as safe as she can be while it never occurs to him to say, hey, maybe you just should do it. Yeah. <laughs> ride or die. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag Still Pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our July producers. Abigail, Alice, Erica, Rose, Jonathan, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelley. And this week's special message for our power producers keep in touch to find out how you too can support chipperish media visit patreon.com slash chipperish other ways to show your support write a great review on apple Podcasts. tell your friends about the show or breathe your turning colors <laughs> we will be back next time with intervention the 18th episode of season five until then i want to hear the whole story again without all that annoying moaning <laughs> <laughs>